Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we desire to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson finishes his series titled Real with part 10, Real Relationship. A magic mug and a cupcake are perfect illustrations to give insight into what is involved in having a real relationship with God. When as believers, we yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning, and we are actually really going to end our series from 1 Corinthians uh, this morning. Uh, The series has been entitled Real, and the idea of the series is that through life in Christ, we can experience a real relationship. What we have in Christ is real. Jesus is real. God is real. Salvation is real. God's power is real. God's grace is real. What he wants to do in us and through us, it's real. It's not a fairy tale. It's not make-believe. We're not just kind of kicking things around. It's real. In fact, life in Christ is more real than anything that we can see or touch in this world. Last week, we talked about real purchase, and it was from... 1 Corinthians 6, where we talked about the the dynamic that we are bought at a price. We are not our own. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we need to think in the context of restoration and relationship and residence. Today, I want to follow up. It's kind of a two-part message. I want to follow up from last week and hone in on this last aspect that we touched on last week about relationship. So the title for this morning is Real Relationship. How can we have a real interactive relationship with God when it comes through this dynamic of of the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is, is in us, because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, he resides in us, but he wants to do more than just reside in us. He wants to fill us and he wants to have this interactive relationship with us. Last week, uh, I, I gave you an illustration. I'm going to do it again this morning because since it, it all ties in to help understand this morning, you need a little bit from last week. So if you weren't here last week, uh, I'll, get you, I'll get you caught up. This illustration will, will tell you everything we talked about last week. The cup says, Earth's Mightiest Heroes. And so you can actually see the lettering on the mug. However, when you pour in this liquid... It's going to take just a moment, but what you're going to see is this mug is going to begin to change. And so instead of seeing the lettering of Earth's Mightiest Heroes, you're actually going to see one of the heroes emerge, and it's going to be Thor. So instead of seeing the words, the words are going to disappear. They're going to evaporate away, and instead you're going to see the image. So the cup is going to actually change And the reason it changes is because of the interaction, the relationship between the cup and what has filled the cup. And that makes the difference. And now you can see the new image. This is what we talked about basically last week is because of the work of the Holy Spirit in us, when we allow him this interactive relationship, he changes us. And so it's from this concept that we're going to bounce on today. Now, this is actually called a magic mug. If you're interested in buying one. But what the Spirit does in us is not magic, but it is supernatural. 
So let's look at our passage this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll pick it up in verse 7. We speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. And the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. Verse 10 gives us one of the roles of the Holy Spirit for us, and that's revelation. He reveals things to us. Verse 10 says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. That word reveal means to disclose, to uncover, to make very clear. So what has the spirit revealed to us? Well, verse seven tells that it's God's secret wisdom that he's prepared for us, that he's destined for our glory. Verse nine says that he reveals what God has prepared for us. Now, verse 11 says that no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So what that means is the only way we can understand God and the thoughts of God is through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit has to, to communicate that to us. This is also a way of saying that the, the Spirit is actually God. If, if we say, I'm man, but my Spirit understands what I'm thinking, really what I'm saying is that's part of me. Okay, so when it says the spirit of God knows the thoughts of God, really that's just a way of saying the spirit of God is God. And we're not gonna get into the Trinity, but the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. So it's the spirit of God that dwells in us. So God dwells in us through his spirit. Now, because of that, he's able to reveal to us what God has for us. And the essence of what he wants to reveal is the mystery of Christ. The role of the Spirit is to reveal to us the person of Christ, the work of Christ, what Jesus Christ has done for us, what he's going to do for us. The Spirit is the one that deepens our understanding of Christ. He's the one that draws us closer and closer into relationship with Christ. He's the one that enables fellowship with Christ. Now, why does he want to reveal to us who Christ is and what he has done for us? Verse 12 tells us, that we may understand what God has freely given us. God wants us to understand what we have in Christ, who we have in Christ. And so it's the spirit that relays that message, that reveals that message about God to us. It's all about revealing Christ. Now, last week, the visual was this mug. So we understand this dynamic of this filling. This morning, I have a different illustration. And it's a cupcake. And I was going to eat part of this. I decided not to because I was going to make a mess. Uh, if I were a good pastor, I probably would have gotten one for everybody. But I'm not a good pastor, so, so sorry. <laughs> but this really illustrates this revelation message of the Spirit. And it kind of ties into everything we're going to talk about here this morning. When it comes to a cupcake, you get the cake and you get the icing, both. But in reality, it's all about the cake 
first. Now, my grandkids would, would argue that because they dive into the icing and they probably never even get to the cake. But in reality, a cupcake is all about the cake first. You know how I know that? Because it's a cupcake. It's not a cup icing. So regardless of how good the icing is, if the cake is hard, if the cake is sour, if it's chalky, if, it, if it's bitter, if it doesn't taste good, you're not going to eat the cupcake because it's about the cake first and the icing is just all the extra. What the Spirit's job is, is to remind us that it's about the cake first. It's all about Jesus first. Jesus is the cake. Everything that we get because of Jesus Christ the life that we get, the abundance that we get, the blessing that we get, all that's the icing. But it's about Jesus first. It's about pursuing Jesus first. We make a huge mistake when we begin to pursue the icing. <laughs> we long for the favor. We long for the blessings. We long for all this stuff that Christ brings us. And it's part of the deal. It's part of the, the deal. But we make a mistake when we pursue that instead of Jesus. The Corinthians made that mistake. So what the Holy Spirit wants to remind us is it's all about Jesus Christ. The good news is when you pursue Jesus Christ, you get that fellowship with Christ, which is what chapter 1 verse 9 told us way back. God's called us into fellowship with his son. It's about Jesus Christ. But with that, you get the icing too. So part of his job is to reveal to us the mystery of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 12 reminds us of who's actually in us. It says, we've not received the spirit of this world or the spirit of the world, but we've received the spirit who is from God. In other words, he's trying to communicate that we're to have an interactiveness with the spirit and not the things of this world. We've not been given the spirit of the world. We've been given the spirit of God. So we, our interaction should be with the Holy Spirit, not the things of the, of the world. One of the things that can hinder our walk and our relationship is that we become preoccupied with the things of this world. And that begins to consume our heart and our mind and our spirit. So the purpose he's saying here is that the interaction should be with the spirit of God. In verse 14, he makes this statement, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit. Now, with that statement, the opposite is true. So if we say the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit, the opposite is, well, the person with the Spirit does accept the things from the Spirit. So he's trying to tie all of this together to say that when we receive Christ, we receive the Spirit of God. He fills us. He dwells within us. And we begin to accept the things of the Spirit. So everything that he has, all the thoughts of God that he's gathering, that he has searched, now he's trying to reveal that to us and communicate that to us and work in and through us. So when we are in the Spirit, when we realize that we have the Spirit, that means that we're going to be responsive and accept what the Spirit is going to try to do and wants to do in our heart and in our life. And all of that kind of brings me to the point of application that I want to camp out on here for a few moments. And that is, what does the, what does the Spirit need to communicate to us? What does the Spirit need to do in us? 
if I could, could, could nail down just four works of the Spirit through this passage and some other passages we've talked about through the series, these are four implications. These are four works of the Spirit. These are four things that the Spirit may be needing to communicate in us, do in us, to keep us in this interactive relationship and help us to understand this mystery of Christ, what Christ has for us, what Christ wants to do in us, what Christ wants to do through us. So at some point in all of our lives, those of us who know Christ, the Spirit may need to do one or all of these things in our life. So let's walk through these, and then we'll get to a, a final point here in just a moment. Of these four, these first three are, are, are pretty interconnected with one another. Here's the first thing the Spirit may need to speak into us, and that is the concept of removal. A few weeks ago, I let our garage just get piled up with all kinds of junk. In fact, it was so full, we could get our cars in the garage, but other than that, we have a kind of an extended garage, so we have a little space in the front. Well, over, just over time, I just let stuff pile up in there, and it was so piled up that all I could really have enough space for was to get out of my car and go through this little trail right to my door to get into the house. Everything else was full of stuff. I couldn't use it. So finally, I got tired of that, so a couple of weeks ago, I just went to the garage and finally said, okay, I'm going to clean this thing out. So I just removed a bunch of stuff. I had old boxes of stuff. I had bought just thrown boxes. I had broken tools that wouldn't even work anymore. I had to throw out. I had a bunch of trash. Just had a bunch of stuff. So I removed all that stuff. And now the garage is completely clean. So now I've got free access and I can just walk wherever I want to in the garage. This is the idea of this concept of removal. Because sometimes we get our life so full of junk that the Spirit of God doesn't have the freedom he occupies maybe a little space, but he doesn't have entire freedom to walk in the space. Back in uh, chapter 6, we looked at last week, chapter 6, verse 13 says that the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. So verse 18 says, flee sexual immorality. Now the immediate context for the Corinthians dealt with sexual immorality, but it introduces a, a broader concept. And that is that there are things that are not meant to be in the believer's life. There are things that are not meant to be in a believer's heart and spirit. There are things that a believer are not supposed to participate in. Paul calls, calls those things here things of the world. And what happens is we can get our heart and our mind and our spirit so cluttered with the things of the world, things that should not be there, things that aren't of God at all, that it, it in a sense grieves the Holy Spirit. It in a sense begins to quench the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit doesn't have that freedom of full range in our heart and in our mind and in our spirit and begins to clog everything out. So there are times when the Spirit is gonna to wanna to come and speak to you and say, there are some things in your life you need to remove. There are some things in your heart you need to remove. There are some things you've allowed to be implanted in your mind and you need them to be removed. And the Spirit will not only reveal that to you, but He will empower you and enable you to get, remove those things. Here's a second one that ties into that, and that's realignment. Sometimes the Spirit's role is realignment. 
Now, we all understand an alignment, especially with a car. We know that the tires will go out of alignment, and there's one noticeable way that you know your car is out of alignment, and that is that it, it wants to keep pulling one direction. So you try to go this straight distance, and you're trying to go on the street, but you, you keep feeling this, this pulling this way. That's when you know you've got to have your tires aligned. The same is true spiritually. And the idea about this is you love Christ, you're following Christ, you're pursuing Christ, you're seeking to honor Christ. But while you're doing that, the enemy comes. And that's what chapter 10, verse 13 was talking about with temptation. Temptation comes, the enemy comes, and he kind of piggybacks on our flesh piggybacks on the world's pull and through the, through the enemy and through our flesh and through the world, you start to feel this pull, this tugging, trying to get you to fall into sin. So you're trying to follow Christ, but you have this constant tugging and this constant pulling. What the Spirit will say to you is, hey, first he'll reveal to you what you're dealing with here is temptation. It's sin. It's not of the Spirit. And then he comes and he brings that conviction. If we actually fall, he brings his second role which is conviction. So these two roles of the Spirit work in tandem. One role is to reveal what God is saying, and the other is when we, when we don't hear that and we mess up, he brings conviction to help bring us back into alignment. There's a third work that ties into this that I'm gonna call redirection. And this is different than realignment. Realignment is you're really pursuing Christ and following Christ, but you're, you're fighting some of these temptations Redirection is basically you're, you're going just the wrong way. We um, all understand GPS. We all use GPS from time to time to get where we're going. And we all know that it'll show you where you are, and then it shows you your destination, and it gives you the path to get there. Well, if you're like me, a little directionally challenged for some reason, when I try to read that, oftentimes, for some reason, I don't know if it's because it's turned weird, but I end up going the wrong way. So even though I've got the GPS in front of me, I end up driving down the wrong street or making the right turn instead of a left turn. So I finally look at this deal and I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm blocks away from where I'm supposed to be. The good thing about GPS is it then will take you in that new location, even though it's in a place you're not supposed to be, it'll still find you. And from that place, it'll redirect you to where you need to be. Spiritually speaking, that's what the Spirit will do as well. He will redirect us. And there's two types of redirections. There's what I'm going to call a sin-driven redirection. This ties in a little bit to what we, what we dealt with a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about the idea of we pursue what we are attracted to. So if, if God's this way and 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 the things of God are this way, and I'm attracted to the things of God, I'm going to be pursuing God and going this direction. But if sin is this way, and the things of this world are this way, and the things of the flesh are this way, and I'm attracted to those things, I'm going to begin to pursue that. And so this concept of sin-driven redirection is the fact that the things of this world and the things of my flesh have drawn my attraction and now I'm pursuing those things and I'm finding myself going a complete different direction than where I'm supposed to go. The good thing about the Holy Spirit is it doesn't matter how far in the spiritual boonies I go, <laughs> he's still able to locate me 
and find me and say, hey, from this spot, if you will turn around, you can still hit the same direction. The Bible word is repent. It just simply means I've been going the wrong direction because I've been attracted to sin. And so the Spirit is going to, number one, reveal that to me. And number two, he's going to convict me about that and say, hey, real life is this way. And so we can take the U-turn. That's sin-driven uh, redirection. But here's, there's another type of redirection. It's what I'm going to call purpose-driven redirection. This has nothing to do with sin. You may remember a story in Acts chapter 16. It's a story of Paul. And Paul is wanting to go to Asia to share the gospel. The scripture says the Holy Spirit won't let him. He wants to enter into Bithynia. But the, he says the spirit of Jesus would not allow him to go there. Here's Paul. He loves Christ. He's following Christ. He's serving Christ. He's not in sin. He's not in rebellion. But he's got something in his heart, something in his mind, something in his spirit. He has what he wants to do, what he thinks is the right thing to do in this relationship with Christ, not in rebellion. He just thinks this is what I think God is saying. But in reality, God's not saying that. The Spirit is not allowing him to go a certain direction. So the Spirit comes to Paul, speaks to Paul, and says, we need to go a different direction. The same thing happens with us as well. It doesn't have anything to do with sin, but there are times when we may have something in our head, something in our heart, something in our mind. We think, oh, this is the way God's going to do it. This is where God's sending me. This is what God has for me. This is the plan. But the Spirit at times will want to come in and say, no, that's not the plan. It may have to do with, I think I should marry this person. And the Spirit's saying, no, that's not the right person. Or I need to take this job. And the Spirit's going to say, no, that's not the job I have for you. I need to buy this house and live in this neighborhood. And the Spirit of God may speak and say, no, that's not the house and this isn't the neighborhood. I'm going to go to this school. And the Spirit may say, no, that's not the school I prepared. It could be a thousand different issues. But it's when we think we're walking with God, we love God, we're trying to honor God, but we have something in our mind that's not the right thing. And so the Spirit of God will come and reveal the thoughts of God and the heart of God and say, no, that's not the direction. This is the direction. And here's the key to all of this. That is that we stay in tune with the Holy Spirit. That we stay yielded to the Holy Spirit, that we are in such close fellowship with the Spirit of God that we have nothing hindering that communication so that when the Spirit needs to speak that into us, we're listening and we're responding. If Paul would not have listened to the Spirit of God, things may be a lot different. And when we choose not to listen to the Spirit of God, things may be a lot different. But here's the fourth one. Here's the fourth work that the Spirit may at times need to speak into us. It's what I'm going to call reignition. Reignition. Back in chapter 6, uh, verse 19, we touched on it a little bit last week, but there's a phrase that says, Do you not know? And as I pondered that phrase, really that phrase is a phrase of awakening. It's a phrase that I think is, is designed to reignite a passion, to reignite a fire. It's to remind us of God's goodness. Now, in chapter 2, he said it differently. He said, no eye has seen, 
No ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has for us. But the Spirit has revealed that to us. In chapter 6, he says it a little bit differently. It's, it's, do you not know? In other words, it's a reminder. It's a way to remind us of God's goodness, of God's plan, of God's grace for us, everything that God has for us, because here's the reality of life. Sometimes life can beat us up so hard that we forget about God's goodness, or we doubt God's goodness. We begin to question all of the things that we thought we know about God, and in that questioning and in that doubting, that fire and that passion that we once had to follow after Christ and to pursue Christ and allow him to have his way in us, it begins to wane, it begins to die out. We kind of call it burnout. And we just experience this spiritual burnout. But the Spirit can reignite that flame. In 2 Timothy, we see uh, Paul, who is working with this young pastor, Timothy, uh, trying to encourage him and give him insight. And Timothy was a great man of God who had a fire for the Lord, sharing Christ with people and just serving the Lord. But but evidently, somewhere along the line of being a pastor, that fire began to wane, began to, to burn out. Whether it's the, the work of, the, of pastoring, whether it's the persecution that the church was facing at that time, uh, was it not seeing the result? Who, who knows what it was about, but somehow that fire waned. And so, so Paul writes to him in verse 6 of Second Timothy 1 and says, fan into flame the gift of God. Timothy, fan into flame. There's still a spark there. So let's fan that spark and let's the spirit of God reignite your passion, reignite your fire, reignite this enthusiasm to serve the Lord and to follow the Lord and to walk with the Lord and allow the Lord to use you. If you read some of David's Psalms, you'll see um, a pattern in some of these. The first part of the psalm, you'll, you'll hear David or read David's words, and it, it's, you can tell it's just full of pain. Fear, he's expressing his fear, his doubt, his questions. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How long, O oh Lord? I mean, just all kinds of, of turmoil and angst and, and pain, questioning God, doubting God, looking out in this world saying, hey, things are messed up. And you can tell that it's, it's, it's brought David to depression and sadness and pain. But then in the middle of the psalm, you'll see him just expressing truth about God, about God's goodness and who he is. And then toward the end of the psalm, now you see, once again, he's praising God, he's exalting God, he's giving him the glory. You see him going from this depth of pain and depression all the way to where now he's renewed the fire and passion to serve his God. What happened? Well, somewhere in the middle, God did a work in David's heart and life as he remembered who God is and what he's done. This is what the Spirit of God will do for us because there are often times that we are just in the same place as David. We're full of pain. We're in the midst of a struggle. We have fear. We have doubts. We see things going on in this world and we think, God, where in the world are you? What are you doing? We see things going on in our life, in our 
relationships and our marriage with our kids, with our finances, whatever it is, things going on in our life, and we're thinking, God, where are you? And all of this weight and all of this pain and all of this struggle just saps the spiritual dynamic right out of us, and that flame is almost disappears. When that happens, the Spirit of God will, will reignite that passion. How does he do that? By reminding us what God has prepared for us by helping us understand anew what we have been freely given in Christ with all of his power, all of his grace, all of his love, all of his, everything about him. He, he, we just begin to confess now, okay, God, you are all the truths about God that we understand. And in that rebirth, our passion is reignited and once again inflamed. I get an online um, quiet time from a guy named Jim Dennison. And sometime the first part of this week, um, he was talking about, you know, doing ministry and et cetera, but he introduced this concept that he called compassion fatigue. And he said, compassion fatigue basically happens when you look out in this world and you see all the pain, all the heartache, all the lostness. You see, you know, billions of people and billions of needs, all this stuff that has to be done. You're so overwhelmed by, by what has to take place. There are so many people to try to love and serve and so much work to be done. And it's just so overwhelming that you realize I can't reach everybody. I can't love everybody. I can't do everything. So it wears me out thinking about it so I don't do anything. <laughs> It just saps everything because I can't do it all. I end up not doing anything. It's compassion fatigue. But he says when that happens, the Spirit of God has the ability to lead us to where he can best use us. And he reminds us we can't do everything, but we can do some things. And he will lead us to what he would call our assignment, our specific ordained assignment. Realizing we can't impact everybody in the world, but he will lead us where he will best use us and he can help identify us to where I can touch this person or I can do this task and it begins to reignite a fire in me to realize I can make a difference in somebody's life. It's like that old starfish illustration. I shared it before. Many of you know it, but it's these tens of thousands of starfish just washed up on the beach. So they're all going to die if they're not back in the water. So this young man sees all of this and he has compassion. So he goes down on the beach and he starts throwing starfish back in the water. Well, this older guy sees that. And he comes down and says, what in the world are you doing? There are thousands and thousands of starfish on the beach. You can't even make a dent. You can't make a difference. And the young man says, throws one starfish in the water and said, just made a difference in that one. And what the Spirit will do when we are overwhelmed, because you may say, hey, I'm one person. I'm just one person. There's billions of people and billions of needs. What am I going to do? The Spirit of God will lead you where he can best use you. And if you'll maintain that desire, he will focus your heart and your mind and your spirit and allow you to be used in that one person's life. And as you do that, you begin to see the spirit of God working in you and through you and that, that spark is reignited. We're a brand new church. 
We're a growing church. We look at the needs of Amarillo and the needs of our nation, and we may say, we can't do everything. We can't meet every need. You're right, we can't, but we can do some of them, and we're going to. That's why we're calling upon the Spirit of God to lead us into what we're supposed to be doing so that he will lead us to the way that he will best use us. But it all hinges on the fact, will I allow the Holy Spirit that kind of interactive relationship with me? So I'll keep those things removed out of my heart and mind and life that will hinder that process. When I find myself getting out of alignment and being pulled to the world, that I allow the Spirit to bring me back in alignment with His plan and His purpose. That when I find myself going the complete wrong direction, that I allow the Spirit to bring me back into that right direction. The whole aspect of the series has been let God be real in you. And that happens when we allow two things. When we realize it's all about Jesus first. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that's where it starts. Where you realize Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He took your place so you would not have to die. And you could spend eternity with him, experience abundant life in this life. It's all about Jesus Christ first. And may the pursuit of our life be to know Jesus Christ more. And in the walk of that, in the process of that walk, we remember that it's about the Holy Spirit allowing the Spirit to fill us and to have all the room and freedom in us to do his work and change us from the inside out. When we do that, our relationship will be real. And he'll do some amazing things in you and through you. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening. We truly hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org.